If you don't know me, I'm Jessie, and I'm very excited today to bring you session two in our series, The Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> I like that kind of enthusiasm. So if you were here last week, you would have heard Terence set the scene for us on the Sermon on the Mount. So he gave us the context. We're in Matthew 5. Jesus is about to teach his disciples that have come to hear about the kingdom. So in Matthew 4, he had said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now we're in Matthew 5, and later in Matthew 6, he's going to teach us to pray the Lord's Prayer, and to pray, uh, your kingdom come as it is in heaven. So from that, we should know that it's, it's part, the kingdom is for all of us. So the kingdom is something that we get to participate in, it's something that we get to bring to earth. And in this, this Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's inaugurating his kingdom. He's explaining to people, this is what my kingdom looks like. These are the people that are blessed in my kingdom. And he would have had a very ragtag bunch of people listening to him. Sometimes when we hear disciples, we sort of picture the twelve, but that's not what he meant. The disciples were all of the people that were following him. He'd been healing people all over the land. He'd been casting out demons. So the poorest in society, the ones that were demonized, the ones that were sick, these were the ones that were on this, this mount listening to him tell them about the kingdom. And all of them were asking, what is this kingdom and what does it mean for me? Who is blessed in this new kingdom that's being proclaimed by Jesus? And in many ways, I feel like all of us are, are on that journey as well. We're also all asking or, or learning to understand more this kingdom and to ask that question, what is this kingdom and what does it mean for me? And I'll give you a clue, it was amazing news for all of these, these people that came to listen to Jesus, these people on the edges of society, because he told them that they were blessed. And it's amazing news for us, because it tells us that we're all included, we're all blessed in this kingdom. And so I hope today that as we unpack the first three Beatitudes, that it'll, it'll bring out in you a passion to understand this kingdom more, and to recognize your place in it. And to not only receive that blessing more fully for yourself that God has already given you, but to bring that blessing to other people as well. So let's just touch on quickly before we go into um, the text for today. I just want to remind us what blessing is in this context. So Taryn told us last week that the word for blessing is the Greek word makarios. And it means something like congratulations, or to be fortunate, enviable, happy. Another commentator says it's the highest form of blessing and well-being. And somebody else said it's transcendent bliss. Now, that sounds like something I want. <laughs> and I'm sure that's something all of us want as well. So let's look at what Jesus is saying is blessed in the kingdom. So we're in Matthew 5, verse 3 to 5. We're going to look at, these are called the Beatitudes. We're going to look at the first three today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So let's have a look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? One commentator says the poor in spirit are those who recognize they are in need of God's help. But actually the word for poor in spirit, that word for poor, 
is, is, is quite an extreme word. It was also used to refer to beggars, to coward, to crouch, to be in desperate need. And this refers to being aware of your desperate spiritual need for the Lord. That without Him, our life doesn't even make sense. And I find most people, I think, on that, that hill and most people in church, we already have that posture where we know that we need the Lord. We know that spiritually there's something to be grasped that can't be grasped outside of our relationship with Him. We were created by Him. We were created for Him. We are created to live in deep relationship for Him. And in that place of dependence on Him, we find our life. Because that is our context. So to be poor in spirit is to recognize that space. It's to recognize that space of dependence. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The poor in spirit acknowledge this relationship. But they also know that the opposite is also true. With him, you can do anything. Luke 1, 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. See, this is amazing news because it means you don't have to come with anything. You don't have to come with your wealth or your connections or your family or your success. You don't need a theological degree and you certainly don't need a perfect life. All you need is that heart posture of dependence, of acknowledging, I need you, God. And from that place, not only are you in the kingdom, you get to bring the kingdom. So our, our, our challenge in life is to maintain that posture of dependence on God throughout it. Because in the beginning it can be easier. There are times in our life where it's really easy to acknowledge our dependence on God. And then there's other times where we feel like we've got it all together and that little bit of self-reliance kicks in and we think, wow, actually I'm doing okay on my own. I can build things on my own. But the truth is we can't. The fruit that we want to, the fruit of the vine in that place of abiding, in Him, that's the only fruit that we really want. That's the only fruit that matters. And personally, I'm really grateful for this. Because for one reason or another, when I started to build my life and build my career and, and start to move forward with work, I went in a lot of random directions. I definitely did not do it the way that you would tell your 18-year-old to choose to live their life, you know, go get a degree, build a career in a certain direction start to get experience in something, become an expert in something. For various reasons, some of them were just pure dysfunction, some of them were choices, maybe some of them were inspired, but I didn't do anything in a straight line. And then, eventually, when I, I went and spent a lot of time with the Lord, and I, I, I found what was in me all along. I actually found my purpose in God, and I realized, oh, I need to, I have this amazing heart for social justice, and I want to work in government. But I was 35. And I kind of felt like I'd missed the boat. And actually, I kind of had missed the boat. And I was looking at all these graduate programs for these, these fresh out of university um, people that wanted to work in government and train as civil servants. And I thought, wow, that program would have been amazing if I was that age and had just thought to do it back then. But actually, I didn't need to bring anything once God had called me. So what it gave me was I was in pure dependence and said, okay, I'm going to follow your call, but I'm 100% dependent on you to do this. I cannot do it. Yeah. And I've been absolutely amazed at the acceleration, the fast tracking, the open doors, and the crazy connections that have come into my life because of that place of dependence. To be dependent on God is a gift in every, in every stage of life, even when things are going well, even when we're successful. 
that to stay in that place of dependence magnifies whatever you can do on your own. See, to be poor in spirit is not to undermine your own value. In the kingdom, you are valuable. You are precious. You are, you are beyond measure valuable. But to be dependent on God is to know that you bring everything that's yours. You bring your value and He magnifies it. To be self-reliant is actually to limit ourselves in the kingdom. So a posture of dependence opens roots to build the kingdom of God. So I'm going to show you a slide because this is actually a radically countercultural belief system, a way of being in the world. You see, our culture values independence, not dependence. So we're going to put this slide up. This is um, a power pose. I'm tempted to make you all do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Amy Cuddy, she did a TED talk called How Your Body Language May Shape Who You Are. And this is how the world tells us to position ourselves to get ahead. They say, your position, even if you don't actually feel confident within yourself, it's okay. Power pose in the morning, work yourself up. Another power pose is like that. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it actually does work. If you're having a little bit of an insecure day, a little bring you into that place of like, no, I've got this. So, I'm not against the power pose. But I am here to tell you that you can power pose, and you can hustle, and you can do everything right in the eyes of the world, and you may not receive the blessing that you're hoping for. Harvard University had done the longest ever study on happiness, and it's a 75 year study. And at the beginning of the study, they asked all these young people, what do you think will make you happy in your life? What do you plan to orientate your life towards to bring you happiness? And 80% of them said wealth and success. And I think, if we're honest, a lot of us are striving for wealth and success as well. But actually, the interesting thing was, at the end of the 75-year study, when they interviewed all the people again, it turns out that wealth and success actually don't bring you happiness at all. That's research. Now that's not to say that success doesn't bring us any happiness at all. And it's definitely not to say that we shouldn't pursue, um, pursue that or pursue wealth or do well in our career. It's not saying any of that, but it is saying that that Macarius blessing, that that highest form of well-being, to be truly fortunate, to be congratulated in the kingdom, is a much deeper feeling than the kind of happiness that we get from those things. We were so blessed to have Tanil worshipping today. And I don't know about you, but when I watch Tanil worship, I think, man, this girl, she, she must have a worship movement in her. You know, she's so talented and so carries the Holy Spirit and is so beautiful. But I wonder if I had to ask her, and I haven't, but I wonder if I had to ask her, she would say that that might be the dream in her heart. But the moments where she feels that deep sense of blessing, it's when she's alone in her room worshiping the Lord and she feels heaven touch what she's doing. She feels heaven touch her heart. And I know for myself, I love standing up here and teaching. But the real blessing, the moments where I feel truly blessed is when I'm in preparation and I'm looking at the scriptures and I feel the Lord fall on it and I feel him teach me something and reveal something to me that I didn't know and I know that I've touched a piece of heaven. 
And I think many of us, when we pray and we have that same experience, we pray and we intercede over a circumstance in our life. But that real sense of blessing doesn't come when the circumstances change. That real sense of blessing comes in the moment that in our intercession we feel God's promise. We feel His peace. We know that He's with us. That is the deep blessing that is beyond circumstances. That is the deep blessing that gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that is the place that brings us to that declaration of better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Any success and any wealth pales, any happiness we can draw from those things, pales into comparison to the pure joy of touching heaven and being with Jesus. And that's available to us all the time. That comes with that posture of poor in spirit. I need you. I want you. Your kingdom is the highest kingdom. So I'm going to show you the next slide, which is the posture that brings that blessing. And we're just going to leave it up because actually it's this posture that applies to the other two Beatitudes as well. And it, it's quite hard to see. I know it's quite bright in here, but what you're seeing there is it's a picture of the prodigal son. And he's on his knees, but he's on his knees in the father's arms. So we come to him low, but in that space we receive from him because we are sons and daughters of a father. And the main theme of this message is going to be, this is the posture. Each of these three beatitudes that tell us that we're blessed, the blessing just comes from our posture before the Lord. We don't have to bring anything else. So we're going to look at the second one now. And the second one is called blessed. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this is not a command. We're not told to mourn. It simply tells us that as disciples in this world, there will be times when we mourn. And that's not new information for us. Each of us has experienced grief. We look at the world and we see suffering. And even in the Bible, there's a whole book called Lamentations. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And even Jesus was called the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, we will grieve. But what's different about this is that Jesus is identifying this as a place of blessing. How will the Lord be blessed? They will be comforted. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, and this comfort is promised to all who mourn. I've heard an amazing story, um, Graham Cook tells an amazing story about how he went through this time of absolute heartbreak and betrayal from very close friends. And he was bereft, heartbroken, sitting on the floor in, in the worst time of his life and just weeping with the Holy Spirit. And he had this phenomenal experience where he, he started to feel tears coming from the top of his head and not from his eyes. And he realized that these were the, the real manifested tears of the Holy Spirit coming down his face. That the Lord was not only comforting him, but weeping with him, with him in his, in his, um, in his pain. And that's the promise for each of us. He's with us in the pain. He comforts us. And Graham speaks of that experience and he says he wouldn't give up that awful experience for anything because of what you got to experience of God in that place. And I know I talk to a lot of people, and it's certainly true in my own life, that it can be in our worst times, that we actually wouldn't give it up 
because of the way that we got to experience. There's something about pain that brings us to the Lord in a way that lets us know Him in a way that we can't know Him in any other time. But the great news is that we're also blessed because mourning is never our final destination. According to Isaiah 61, we can expect beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. We get to mourn with hope. Without hope, we spend our lives trying to avoid pain. So if you don't have hope for walking through pain, then you will avoid it, you will numb it, you will repress it. And that's, by doing that, you actually don't get to live life at all. You get to you miss something. See, as we learn to walk through pain with hope, pain itself becomes a place of transformation. The Lord gives us something in that place. We never leave it empty-handed. How often is it the person that's walked through pain that is then the one that's able to walk others through pain? It's the recovered alcoholic that the response is the young person trying to figure out, trying to recover. It's the single mom who has been through a divorce and is struggling to cope and has actually walked through that pain and now knows how to be there for the next person who goes through the same thing. Everything that we've been through, God will use for good. Everything that we've been through, He multiplies that grace so it not only brings you a grace, it brings others a grace as well. And this is why we get to mourn with hope. And this is why it is our heart posture to allow ourselves to mourn, to allow ourselves to feel. You cannot love, um, you cannot mourn without love. And you cannot love if you're not open to mourning. And this is also true on a societal level. If we engage in mourning with the world with hope, our tears become intercession into the hardest things that are happening in the world. And our intercession shifts communities, it shifts cities, it shifts nations. Every movement begins with mourning. William Wilberforce, um, who was responsible for largely ending the slave trade, said, look first to the dreadful consequences of failure and then fix your eye on the glorious prize which is before you. First, we have to be open, not numb, not ignoring, looking at the pain. And once we're in that place, then we look at the victory. And those are the people that bring hope. Nobody ever changed anything without hope. I had a friend recently say to me that she wasn't sure if she wanted to have children because there's so much suffering in the world. Why would you bring children into this world? And I thought, wow, what an illustration of what it looks like to mourn without hope. To look at the world and go, there's no hope for this. In fact, it's not even worth it to be alive, is ultimately what she's saying by that. Now, I get where she's coming from. But my mindset is so different, and I hope most of yours is too, that they let me bring children into this world to bring transformation, to bring hope, to bring love. It's exactly what we need, is, is, is people that have hope. And the other aspect of this beatitude is that in the Jewish understanding, the word mourn was bereavement, but it was also repentance. And there are gonna be times in our lives when we become aware of the sin in our own life. And that is a place of mourning as well, and that's okay. I know you don't like to, to focus on that, but actually it's okay to mourn the sin in our own life. It's okay to look at it and go, oh, I don't want that in my life anymore. I can see that the sin is death and this is causing death in me. But we don't have to stay there. We move through the morning. We bring that to the Lord. We repent from it. We ask for the grace to move through. And we know that we are accepted and loved. He says, as far as the east are from the west, so our transgressions are removed from us. 
We never have to sit in mourning. We always move through mourning. So in the same posture of on our knees at the feet of the Father, we get to bring him all of our sadness, all of our mourning, and trust him to bring transformation through that place. And the final one we're going to look at today is blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what does it look like to be meek? Meek is often called strength under control. It implies gentleness but not weakness. And for us, you know, we, we often, um, we don't have the same context as the people that were listening to Jesus would have, but they would immediately have had Psalm 37 come into their mind. So I'm not going to read the whole of Psalm 37 because it's really long. But I am going to look to Psalm 37 to give us clues for how to position ourselves in meekness. So here are some of the things it says. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Don't fret when people succeed in wicked plans. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. To be meek is to be confident and secure within your identity, your mission, and your inheritance, and to live life from that place. So we all live in a crazy world, and in many ways it's the opposite to the kingdom. And we know that God's kingdom has the ultimate victory, both in our own lives and in the wider society. So to be meek is to respond and not to react. It is to have matured into the fruit of self-control. And Jesus himself was meek. Matthew 21, 5 says, See, your king comes to you in meekness. Right, gentle and riding on a donkey. Sorry, that gentle means meek. Same word. And on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that he was in such contrast to how kingdoms were won. So he came with his kingdom and everyone expected his kingdom to come in the way that every other kingdom had come through battle, through conquering, through control. And Jesus just came in on a donkey with his own agenda, knowing that he was going to do something far greater than had ever been done before, and nobody understood it. But he stuck to his agenda, and he got the job done. And we get to position ourselves in meekness in the same way, to bring gentleness, to bring self-control. When we see evil around us, when we are betrayed, when we see evil things get, um, succeed, we don't react, we don't respond with violence, we respond with that servant heart that Jesus um, so wonderfully demonstrated. And we stay calm and we ask God for the strategy. I think this can be particularly um, important when we feel like we've been wronged. Because that's our time and we actually need to submit to the Lord and let Him tell us how to deal with it. We want to react, we want to be vindicated, but He's actually our vindicator and our defender. And our job in those situations is actually to forgive and to clean out our hearts of all of the things that have come in because of that experience and to respond in meekness. So we can go back to the, the other slide. So you'll notice the theme in all three of these is really simple. 
and it's illustrated in this picture. Come to him. He's looking for an acknowledgement and the dependence on him. The joy of being intertwined with him. This is where your life makes the most sense. This is the space where we get to bring him full dependence. This is the space where we get to bring him sadness and mourning. And this is the space where we get to bring him every injustice that happens in our own life that we see in the world. And we get to come to him for strategy. We live in this posture. And so this morning we wanted to leave a lot of time for ministry time, so we're going to go into that time now. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I'm going to ask you to stand. left a lot of time to just be with him because we know that we can say all the words and we can teach you all the theology but if the kingdom doesn't come in your heart and the spirit isn't allowed to encounter you none of it matters none of it will go deep so just take a minute to just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you ask him if there's anything highlighted in the message some of us there's an area in our lives that we're trying to figure out for ourselves and the Lord has asked me to hand it over and be dependent there's something that you're looking at and you're going I don't know how this is going to work out and he's saying I'm going to walk you through take my hand and you're going to offer him your dependence that resonates with you just raise your hand we're going to pray in a minute Some of us are in mourning. We're grieving over something. And the Holy Spirit just wants to come and comfort you in that place. He wants to remind you that there are gifts for you in that place. That he will never leave you in that place. That he will walk you through that place. And I just felt that somebody just really feels stuck in that place of mourning. Really feels stuck in that place of mourning. And you don't trust that the Lord knows how to bring you out. And he just wants to touch you this morning. That's you, just put your hand on your heart and just receive from the Holy Spirit. Just receive from him now. Just receive from him now. And then I felt like some of you heard me talk about touching heaven. And you're just hungry for that. It's been a while and you've never felt that feeling before of hearing the Lord's voice or feeling the tangible presence or having that touching heaven experience. If that's you or you just want more of that, just raise your hand. Justice that's been done to you. 
And I felt like actually it was something specifically the, justice had, the injustice had been done to them a while ago, and but you haven't been able to let it go. And I just felt like the Lord said, this is your moment to let it go. It's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. And for the rest of us, and hopefully for all of us, this is just a time to tell him again that he is everything. If you felt an area of sin highlighted in your life that it's time to deal with, just bring it to the world and put repentance and trust him for the grace to walk it out. And if you just want to tell him that he is everything and this is your moment, but don't rush through it. So if, if you felt one of those things specifically, I'm going to be up here to pray. Please come and be prayed for. But you might also just need to do it by yourself with God. So I'm going to trust you to discern that. Some of you need to come forward. Some of you need to get on your knees. Some of you need to sit where you are. I'm not going to prescribe anything, but I am going to ask you, when you listen to the Holy Spirit, will you come and do whatever He's asked you to do? Let's not leave this place the same. Let's not leave this place the same. He wants to rain down on us today. He wants to rain down on us today. There are times when we come into a meeting and there's an open heaven available. There are times when we come and he's doing something. And he'll always give you another time, but I would encourage you not to miss the moment. There is something available to break things, to break things today. There is something available to break things. If you can feel that feeling, if your heart is beating and you know there is something I need to break, then come up to the front. Everyone here, we all we're all for you. Come and get it done. And let's worship. So guys, um, well, no, it's an outstanding message. Um, please, at any point, if you want to be prayed for, just come in front. There'll be some people praying for you. There is such a, an excitement this week. This but you know the leaders of signal we've told today is a unusually open heaven. And then you're going to pick it up. And don't miss this opportunity. Back in the coming weeks, we really want to lean into more of the Spirit's presence and power, his liberating touch, gifts of the Spirit. Um, the, the, the idea that just is in my mind the whole time while I'm sitting there is that this church is a seed. And God knows what it's going to become. Who knows? But I tell you what a seed needs, it needs lots of water. God is going to be watering the seed that is signal. And he's going to be watering the seed that is your life. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God suddenly comes upon the church. And the seed starts to grow. They don't get the ministry that they had later in the book of Acts without going through the suddenly of the Holy Spirit. As God pours out his spirit on your life personally and in us as a church. This is going to connect with ministry into the future. So I want to encourage you, even though we're not quite sure where our path goes, to not miss this uh, season. I believe it's starting today in our church. I have an increase of the Holy Spirit's 